Oh, hello. Fancy seeing you here on a Monday morning, but glad you could join us. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, we will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their businesses to success in an ever-competitive business climate. So pour yourself a hot cup and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Monday Morning Coffee. This this week, I have Josh Kunkel. He's the founder of and managing partner at Method Group, uh, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They're a progressive firm focused on, focused on the emotion and experience of the place. They focus on urban, mixed-use, and historic preservation, housing, and office projects. Uh, so, Josh, thanks for being on today. Um, it was a year today because we had a, a pretty interesting back and forth in the Entree Architect uh, group over the past couple of weeks about the idea of open office versus remote firm. So I'm glad, you're, I'm glad you would step in. It's going to be a, a companion episode to, to episode 142 of Standard, you know, one that we released on Friday. Yeah, absolutely. So it was a really interesting discussion, and what we really learned from that is that everybody uh, certainly has a um, – a different opinion on what a remote firm looks like um, because you have from one end, because I posted this on my personal page too and got some other answers well from non-architects um, and so just out in the general business and so you have from all the way from the solo person that of course your office moves with you because your business is you uh, to um, we found a team in um, a company in California that um, they're a hundred percent. They they don't have a physical office at all, and their team is distributed across the world. And so I think that we landed that we're somewhere in between, at least on the remote office. So one of our team, um, she actually worked for a company, um, a tech company that was in that fully remote, no office, fully distributed category. And so she's been a great help in kind of coaching us on pros and cons, like what really worked, what didn't, um, kind of scenario planning for it. So in her view, we're probably 60 to 70%, you know, fully remote. Um, so we do have a physical office. Um, but every one of our team members is set up to be able to, everybody has a laptop. All of our software is cloud-based. Um, you know, we use Dropbox, Zoom, um, Microsoft uh, 365, BIM 360, um, all of those things to support our team. And everyone has worked um, remotely, fully remotely um, outside the office. Um, so, and some have worked several weeks outside of the office um, continuously due to health reasons or um, whatever. Um, so, really, whenever we started the firm, we started in June of 2018, so we're relatively new. Um, we really set out to kind of break the mold a little bit, kind of reevaluate what, what it means to be an architecture firm and what it means to be an architecture firm that's you know, looking towards the future, like where is the industry going? And we know that architecture has been done the same way um, for a long time. 
And so there's a, you know, multiple generations that are rooted in that idea that you have to physically be at your desk to get work done, largely because it was centered around the drafting table. So if you weren't at your drafting table, you did not get work done. So in uh, a 60 or a 72 inch drafting table is pretty hard to lug around. Um, so, and whenever you're using a full size sheet, you know, a lot of people did have drafting tables at home, um, but you have to roll up the drawing, you have to risk, you know, whatever thing might come in your way, a child, uh, rainstorm, um, you know, whatever um, might come and mess up that, those precious hours of work because there's no control F in paper days. Um, so we really set out to start tackling each one of those elements that make up an architecture firm and really question why, we, why is it done that way. Um, and so this remote, this idea of remote office was one that was looked at. So um, really we, and out of um, financial savings and plus the fact I don't want to manage a server, um, I'm an IT person, but not, I don't enjoy getting down into the nitty gritty. So switching over to BIM 360 really kind of solidified that to go full laptop and go full mobile. How many partners do you guys have at the firm? So it's just me. Um, for I have 100% ownership. And then okay. um, have currently have four. We've had as many as, um, we have um, four we have plus four. And then we've been as many as eight. What's so so if you're what what was the primary was it just you wanting to be different? And and here's where I'm going with this. You probably heard me talk about this on the on the podcast. But my my wife is fascinated in the fact that Alex and I have to do everything out of the box. We just aren't satisfied as human beings, creative human beings and architects, builders and developers. If if we're not doing literally something that or or that that us and get this get this out of bed every day so was it just you did something push you there or you know like from work that you, you this is kind of what you desired because it's really fascinating that you're taking this it's been a very progressive approach to an architecture yeah so um what we found so we do a lot of personality testing um within our team because highly engaged um highly productive teams do that because it's under we focus on strengths and so one of my strengths is activator so in strengths finders um, or in uh, Myers-Briggs I'm an MTJ which is the mastermind or the architect and then we have this four colors one where it's kind of this i it's green is what I'm primarily but it's this intellectual like uh, rationalized forward-looking Kind of mindset. So, um, my dad is a um, um, is a small business owner. He's a a residential contractor, and so I've grown up with uh, having a business owner for a parent my entire life. Um, and so there's and before that, you know, my parent, uh, my family up in rural Wisconsin. They were all agrarian based. They were all farmers. And so, you know, being on the farm, you kind of have to be that, have that entrepreneurial spirit because it's not, you know, you got to figure it out whenever something's wrong. And so that's just been kind of 
baked in and with a grain of salt for sure, but my family is very, very German and they tend to be very um, invested in technical fields. Um, so right, wrong, or indifferent, that's my path backwards. So I've always um, known that I was going to be um, either a principal or a firm owner. Um, it was just a matter of when. So we were at a larger uh, biggie little a firm and I was getting a little antsy and we kind of saw a window. Um, we were, my wife was pregnant with our fourth child. Um, so we have four boys that are soon to be seven and under. So our oldest turns seven next weekend. Uh, so seven, five, three, and one, um, all boys. Um, but it was kind of it was kind of that right point, and then we approached our firm and said, "Hey, you know, have a different vision. You know, what would you think if we took spun off and took the whole thing with us and took all of our projects with us?" Well, to our chagrin, they um, said, "Yeah, that sounds like a great idea." So uh, we made it a win-win scenario, and so we took all of our we had like twelve projects, 13 projects that we took with us. Um, that sounds a lot better than what it is. Um, most of them didn't have fee or had ran out of fee. Um, so there was two that really did work good for us. Um, but as we found, they slid and um, one of them is still under construction. Uh, and then the other one wrapped up a couple of months ago. So we've been out a year and a half. Um, so that revenue didn't pencil in where we thought it would. So that's been a big learning lesson for sure. Um, I'm also optic, and that tends to hurt me sometimes. Um, yeah. So, so, but was there anything but, at the old firm that that pushed you towards you know you? Like, I'm I don't obviously you have four kids. I have four kids too, as you, as you probably know. And like that's always been a big thing for me. Like well, I was a uh, I was a single dad for about years um had full you know it was just meeting kids and it was so paramount to be able to have that flexibility when they were very little to be able to go in and so what was it was it was it, was it i always feel like people are doing even with their parents right i mean you talk about your parents and some yeah. parents were not entrepreneurs so that's kind of led to me to be like super entrepreneur i'm just gonna start a business every year yeah. and like that so what was was, was is there anything yeah. like that absolutely um, so being a parent of four kids, you know, we had been on four different insurances and so we got to know insurance really freaking well. Um, and so what we knew is that most places didn't prioritize people that have families, um, especially and on an insurance perspective, it's hugely expensive. Um, it's a great burden. And then whenever, so the firm that I work for previously, you had to pay per child because they weren't, um, they hadn't discovered the benefits of a PEO or a professional employment organization, um, but they were on a small business plan. So if you have eight kids, then you pay eight individuals. And so that gets to be uh, just astronomically expensive versus a large company plan that plus family. Um, so we felt to, um, so one of our few benefits um, is that we actually 
pay for everybody's health, dental, vision for them and their family, 100%, uh, which is, again, highly unusual um, in our industry. We also, and we have our interior designer is on maternity leave right now, but we provide maternity and paternity and adoption uh, leave. So maternity, we provide 12 weeks, which is a blend of short-term disability. Um, so short-term disability pays 60%. So for that first six to eight weeks, short-term kicks in, pays that, and then we cover the remaining up to 12 weeks. Um, 12 weeks total leave. Um, so again, it allows for uh, you know our mothers to be with their new child, and that's a very critical time for them to bond um, and grow, and then be ready and mentally and physically be ready to come back into the office. Um, so then paternity leave. I've taken a total of a week and a half. Um, on each of my four kids. And actually, number three, I think, was only a week. Um, so one week off and then one week of half days. So honestly, that wasn't enough. So you're still exhausted after that, like especially after one and two, because um, our two didn't sleep. So, um, yeah, so the other thing is flexible schedule. So whenever you're expected to be in the office from eight to five, that's really hard to be a parent sometimes. Like if you gotta go to an OB visit, you know, with your wife, or you gotta go pick up the kids from school. So I I take our kids to school every day um, during the week, and then I pick them up um, two times a week. Uh, and so I wouldn't be able to do that in a traditional firm. Uh, and so, or like if they have a Christmas program or an Easter program or whatever, you know, I can go take the hour, uh, hour and a half and then come back and then get my work done. So yeah. that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Seriously. I, I think uh, that's so critical. We have a bunch of uh, young males and females at our firm and that's, we're trying to, we're, we're you know, one of Alex's goals and our goal this year is to get a, a fund, a savings fund up for that maternity leave and the paternity leave. I think it's important because it, I didn't get that. Uh, Alex sort of got it with his last child, but you know, we we don't want anybody else to kind of share that burden. I think the we, yeah. and we hope it's reciprocal appreciation of you know sticking with and being loyal. Because that's a problem right now is that people have changed the rates of holding that loyalty. So it sounds like the first key for you setting up. And starting in, in a remote, a largely remote firm, if not all remote firm, is is really this personality test. That's kind of an interesting nugget to throw out. Can you talk about? You said, it sounds like you the two of them, right? Um, two different kinds. How do you run people through those? What's your process there? So now, so again, whenever we started, we kind of had people on the team that came over, but now that we're having new people come in, so we're doing personality testing from the beginning of the interview process. And so that's where um, we could talk about that too. Like we're, we have five steps. We have five interviews um, for, for new folks and, and we have steps in between those. So we really, really get to know a person before they come in the door. Um, and our most recent person came through a referral 
and had worked with our interior designer previously. So we already had kind of a working knowledge of who that person was, and then we put them through our filters to make sure that they were um, driven the same way we were, shared our core values, shared our purpose and all of that, and then also shared our passion for how we do architecture. Um, so, yeah, so what we did, um, we just finished our, our annual planning. So we did two days of annual planning. The first day was really focused on vision and culture. And then the second day was focused on uh, planning and action. So um, we use a system called EOS or Entrepreneurial Operating System. It's um, written in a book called Traction by Dino Wickman. Um, it's very similar to Scaling Up by Vern Hunish, if you've heard of that. Um, and so it's kind of a way to run your business. Um, so where we're looking at three-year plan, one-year plan, and quarterly um, goals, rocks, as they're called. Um, and then also there's the component uh, called IDS, so identify, discuss, and solve. So that's how we filter issues. Um, so one of the issues that we talked about was the remote, but then in the, sorry, back to the original, um, with the personality testing, we actually went through and realized um, that there was, we have people that are the exact same profile, but they're very different people. And so we were kind of trying to understand what those differences were and where the similarities were. So again, it's just we went through everybody's profile and understood everybody's pros and, uh, or strengths and weaknesses and how we might be able to pair them up. If they had a weakness and somebody else had a strength on our team, we would then tip over those tasks that are traditionally on that role to the other person. Does that make sense? It does make sense, yeah. Yeah. I, I gotta yeah. wonder how your hiring process takes uh if you're doing the five step, you know, if you're doing these yeah. five different Yeah. <laughs> um so our last one, um we had a little bit of time to be able to we couldn't hire that person immediately. Um so we took approximately a month and a half to two months um to kind of filter through. Because again, um so one of the things that we learned from somebody else that we integrated is since we use all modes of communication um, amongst the team and amongst our clients, so we tested them. So like a call, a Zoom call, uh, in-person meeting, email, um, and text. So we tested all in their proficiency, all of those. Um, and then it was like if we ask for something you know one of our core values is responsiveness so being responsive is very very important to us um, which I heard that I was listening to um, your guys's podcast episode right before Christmas um, on the way to the office today and um, that's very familiar to hear it from you guys too so um, yeah. whenever something for a little too long you start getting antsy and start wondering if something's wrong um, on the other end, but giving throughout is very helpful to pull out those soft skills and to really gauge 
um, if you're going to match with that. But they have to be aligned with your values. So that may be something different um, if your if your core value is different. Do you find that so if let's say somebody really fails at two of those tasks, and you email them and take some know what your rule of thumb is. Ours is 24 hours. Let's say it takes them three days to do it to, to email back. I would call that a. So that and then another example maybe is a text, sort of same thing, just a timeline, just to kind of keep keep it brass text. Do you mm. still have a metric of you're like, well, they've they've passed three out of five. We can train them in two. And have you went to down that road where it's still they're still trainable? I mean, everybody, nobody's perfect, right? So. Right. There are definitely some of those that are pretty innate to how you are as a human. And so responsiveness, it's it's your perception of it's you understanding what's on the other side of the table. So we define we define responsiveness the same way. So response within twenty four hours. Internal is we've getting a little bit more definition on that, but it's usually within two Two hours um, in a core hour time frame, um, which is not related to office hours, which we decided we're not going to have office hours um, just because if I work better at seven or eight in the evening and my client works best at seven or eight in the evenings, there's no reason we shouldn't be available at seven or eight in the evenings. But you have to set up that expectation first. Yes. So, um, but those so those two instances that you um, put out there, yeah, I would agree. That's that's a failure, it, unless you said, "Hey, I can't get to it right now. I'll get to it in three days," and then you get to it in three days. That where that would be a success. So because again, that goes to that responding within 24 hours, and a response can be, "Hey, I got it." And I'm going to get to it in this time frame. So yeah. easy enough. I love I love this I love this methodology that you're describing about testing people with the soft skills, hard skills. Because the thing about soft skills is uh, even though some of them are innate, um, I just don't think you can. Tr I'm not sure you can. Well, that's the thing. They're innate. They're highly mm -hmm. innate. So you can train them as you can as a hard skill. Like a hard skill, you could say, okay, I know you think yeah. you know or whatever or any kind of CAD program. I know you think you know it, but pretend like you don't know it. Here's our tutorials. Go through them. Here's how we model. Here's how we draft. Here's examples. That is beautiful. Tell us. Let's move into. So you have. So you do have about 30% of the staff that I. I nobody can watch. Nobody can see the video right now. Josh and I are talking. He's got a brick wall. He's at. He's at his office actually. So you got about 30% of your staff that is actually in a building, right? Um, in, in a in a office that you that you lease, I assume. <clears throat> And then 70% is remote. Talk about the challenges that you've seen with remote and how you're trying to, all remote workers, keeping them on task. I think that's the biggest fear that everybody talks about as well. I give them a task. How do I make sure that they're working? You know, are you setting expectations and deadlines? Is that also the critical part for you guys? So, yeah, um, yes, but we handle it a little differently. So that's kind of one of the... Where architecture, again, this is one of the mindset things that architecture has been always rooted in the fact that you're sitting next to the person that's doing the work and that you can kind of look over your shoulder and keep an eye on them. That's a very low trust environment. And so that's not an account, it's very low accountability in that environment. 
So if you've hired this person to do something, as long as you're setting those expectations and you're training them up, they should be successful in environments or have the uh, ability to speak up and communicate whenever they don't understand something or they need clarification. So that's where, so you have to have that foundation before you can go to remote. Um, and you, that's where, that's why it's so important to vet that so heavily coming in, especially whenever we're core values driven and we give these kind of freedoms and these leashes, I guess you could say, uh, longer leashes in that really we just care about results. So it's, uh, we're not caring so much about how you get there. We do care how you get there, and we have systems for that. And so if you know the systems, then you're going to be more successful. But if you do something a different way and you still end up with the same result, awesome. Maybe we can learn something from it. So Let's put, let's put this question on the opposite. What are some complaints from remote people? That, that um, So definitely. Uh, not feeling like this is, um, so Sarah, she lives, so we're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Sarah's in Austin, Texas. Um, so she's never, she's been in the office three times uh, the whole time she's worked for us. So one of the early on things was, well, I just don't feel like, you know, I'm part of the team. And mm-hmm. so where we so at that point we flipped all meetings to zoom and so we do all meetings uh, via video call Um, we also got her engaged in more of our uh, general meetings Um, and then also that's whenever we started um, we dumped off email for internal communications and we went to slack Um, so all internal stuff is on slack and it's open to with the exception a couple of channels it's open to everyone so even if you're not on a project you have visibility and see can see what's going on on all the projects um yeah so we've made um another idea that i've had that we haven't yet implemented is um doing an open lunch so like one day a week just sit in the the conference room pop on Zoom, and whoever shows up, shows up, and you can just talk around eating lunch. So it's giving the opportunity for everybody to be together in one digital place. Because those are the interactions that you miss from from all being in a physical office. But the periods in between, so like whenever you're actually working, so that's where Slack you know, whenever you're responsive on Slack, you can ask a question and you get an answer. Like it's like they're just sitting there. Yeah, um, yeah. That that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I was I was probably had to guess. That was kind of what what maybe a complaint would be. It's a really obvious one um, to talk about and, and to hear. So let's let's wrap this up with if you could if you could go back in time. And 18 months ago, now knowing what you know now, and I know you're just going to continue to grow as a, as a person and professional. Um, if you could, if somebody else was looking to make the leap that you did in terms of starting up hybrid office, 
what what are what are some fundamental what are some fundamental pieces of advice you could give them um, sort of step by step and then what are the fundamental pieces of software that you like to recommend to people to make this happen so uh, one is really think about how how and what is the purpose of having an office or physical space so I know that when Whitman on Andre Architect has talked about how he went through the recession and kind of switched to the virtual office, and he went through that. But I think for a lot of people, you know, they still have this this idea, this comfort rooted in being in an office with other people that are doing similar things with them. So, like for me, I have to be in an office in a relatively quiet place. It doesn't necessarily have to be with other people. Um, but I need to be away from the kids, and I know you can understand this too, because yeah. um, they're crawling all over you. My wife is more okay with this, so she's on our team, and so whenever she's on calls, she has, and Sarah, um, she has one that's uh, very wild, and so she's crawling all over her during any of our calls, um, and it's fine. So, you know, uh, but I would really consider how you use physical space to then augment that digital experience. So for us, we actually took a lot more office space than what we probably needed. And so now we're at the big office that's fitted out. So we're actually going to be looking for a roommate to help augment that. I don't like, we ran it as a co-working space. And just having that constant rotation of people and wondering, man, did they lock up the office? Did they arm the alarm? You know, did they leave the laptops on? You know, all of that was way too much mental burden on me. Um, and so it's even with the added money, it's not a good thing for me. Um, so we're looking for a roommate, six to eight people. So uh, we'll see what we get. Yeah. Um, and then uh, software. So our kind of um, core pieces, so we use BIM 360 because we're Revit-based. Um, we do not have a physical server. We don't use Dropbox to host models or even one-off models. We use it for everything. Um, Dropbox is our file server, and it's very responsive. Everybody has it on their desktop and uses it just like a regular server. Plus, it's very easy to share. Um, we were in Google uh, whenever we started, and we found that Google kind of tops out and has customization or lack of customization, um, and the share settings were not. It was all one thing or everything um, mm -hmm. on dress, which was terrible um, for how we work because we're very, collaborative so we wanted to be able to share a folder within the project you couldn't do that with Google um, then Microsoft Office 365 um, Outlook Word Excel um, we do PowerPoint on occasion um, then we have um, some that use the Adobe suite um, created suite cloud uh, and then we use Excello for our project management, um, which has been good um, so far. It gives us a lot of visibility into the financials and the health of the projects. It's 
what we use for time tracking. Most importantly, it looks good. Um, we were looking at Delta Kajira, which was priced similarly, and it looked like accounting software. And you had to know special terminology, and it just it was very cumbersome. Um, so um, that's been very helpful. And then it overlays on top of QuickBooks online um, for our accounting. Um, Bluebeam for PDFs. Um, and so we use the collaborative review. Um, so you can host a document in the cloud, send a link to people. They don't have to have Bluebeam, and then they can mark up there in real time, um, which is nice. Uh, and then obviously Zoom. You've mentioned Zoom a couple times. I, I think that one's a great one. Is there any reason you yeah. Zoom anything else? We're on join.me right now, and it's just sort of a, I don't know, it was a Rope this in, and now we're just used to it, and so we just we make it happen. Plus, I can record. I mean, I know you can record on Zoom too, and we don't have a problem with either one. But is there, was there a particular reason why you prefer Zoom over any other one? It's just so easy. So, yeah. and it the graphics are nice on it too. Um, so again, that visual is very important to us in most everything we do. Um, so yeah, it just looked good. And a lot of the people that we were working with it, uh, working with at the time, were using it also. Yeah. Um, what about uh, one thing we haven't touched about that I just thought about was like printing. From the day one, when we've had F9, we've never, we've never had a big plotter, and we never will. I just, after going to college, I was like, worth it. It's so much money. It breaks down, and I don't have an IT person. We're very small, um, and so we farm everything out. Except for we do have a couple of. Brother printers, brothers bland band, brand, and it works. Well. How do you handle that for remote? Yeah. Do you guys remote people? Um, so we're eighty eighty percent digital in that regard. So, like, we have one client that count uh, counts for like uh, probably eighty percent of our printing, and so that's a municipality. Um, yeah. It's because their standard is you print 12 or 20 sets or whatever each. It's insane. So, um, yeah. So that's where we just, it's cheaper and easier. They deliver. They will even, like, it saves us money. So they will deliver to our clients, too. So um, so we don't have, to, we don't have, you know, that low-level, on staff position, like an administrative assistant or an intern that can go run documents in our office. So it just, it's easier for somebody else to do it. Um, yeah. I think it's actually cheaper to find out too, because you're not having to, because then there's the time you have to actually sit and put the set together and staple it and do all the, you know, all that stuff. And that costs time. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, Josh, this has been a, I mean, you're doing something that's just incredibly interesting, um, but I think it's the way that everybody's going towards, even if they have, even if they just built an office like we did, I think there's still, we have, mm -hmm. I, work, I, I do the same thing with you. I drop off the kids every day, so I don't get in until about nine, and then sometimes I'll be early later, and I just the flexibility in that, that's where people are at in life. Mm -hmm. So where can people, if, if anybody's listening to this, and it doesn't matter if they're an architect or another entrepreneur, if they want to get in touch with you, where could they where could they get in touch with you? How could they follow you? So our website, 
uh, is really our main place, uh, method.group. And then you can, of course, find us on Facebook and Instagram. I think we are method arch okay in both places. Um, so we post a lot on both Instagram and Facebook. Um, we're on LinkedIn also, but it's not nearly as frequent. And you can find me on LinkedIn, um, Facebook, and then I don't do Instagram. So, um, yeah, we're very available. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on, buddy. We'll talk soon. Yep. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on the iTunes app. Tip your barista, and we'll see you next week for more Monday morning coffee with Inside the Firm.